Hello and welcome to the Steph Sanzaro podcast. My name is Steph and it is such a pleasure to have you here with me today listening in on what was such an amazing conversation. Now this podcast is a space for open and honest conversation, a space for my guests and I to lean into vulnerability and to talk about the things that are really important to us and the things we want to raise awareness for. In today's episode, well, it's pretty damn special and we could have talked forever and we almost did, which is why today's episode will be split into two. To give you some time to reflect upon what you have heard and to let it really sink in and to then meet us next week for part two and to take in all of the wisdom of today's incredible guest. Now today's episode does come with a trigger warning for grief and for loss and I would firstly like to acknowledge anyone out there today who is listening who has experienced the loss of someone that they love to tell you how deeply sorry I am. I hope that listening to today's episode offers you some validation in your grief and to make you feel very seen because I know personally that having this conversation today it actually really helped me in my own grief journey. So without further ado I would love to welcome my next guest Joe. even post a death like I don't know I just I just know they just want well I just think they would want the best for me and you know and and even if you had been ill like I just I just really firmly believe that in the type of people that you love and care for that much only want you know what is best for you your happiness and your name would have wanted you to have been doing that yeah versus as you said being at home caring for her and and as you said lucky in a way that you got that last Mm -hmm. sort of part with her yeah because I did I got to you know do many goodbyes Mm. because there were many times we thought she was going to pass away and and I got to do the whole, I love you, thank you so much for, you know, taking me in and for showing me what it is to be loved. And I got yeah. to tell her to her face. Yeah. And most of the time I didn't know if she could actually understand what I was saying. Yeah. But I got that. Whereas I know people like you yes. just didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, like, it's, it, I think that really hit me this year. And I'm, I'm definitely going to cry in this podcast. <laughs> because, Don't, I oh always cry God. in this podcast. So please just... <laughs> I get the I tissues. I was thinking on the way down. I was like, I'm having a really... I don't know. I've just woken up this week. Not feeling off. Like, I, I, I grief's such a funny one. As in, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, God, I think I'm getting into the wave again. Like, oh, just yeah. where I've been. I don't feel bad, but I'm tired and I'm mm-hmm. sad and I'm just... Like, even coming down here, I was like, oh, God, I just feel that real vulnerability again where you're just like, oh, God, this is painful sometimes. Yeah. Um, Almost anything could make you cry. Yes. Mm. And that's, I think, yeah. this morning when I was coming, even going into the co-working space, I was like, I'm teary. And on Monday, I said to my sister, I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> I probably didn't help because I actually... Um, yeah, I've, I'm doing some filming around the journal. And mm-hmm. so with a couple of videographers in Melbourne that I know quite well and actually filmed Craig's funeral for me. Um, so we're sort of putting together like a bit of scripting around for me to you know talk about not so much my story, but about grief and things like that too. And so they've said to me as part of that, can you pull out photos of Craig and oh, then wow. can you do this? And I am, I mean, essentially what's happened to me too is we've gone from living in a house in Bannockburn that we'd only moved out to by four weeks. We're going for a country change. So we were renting, thank goodness. Craig dies four weeks later. Three weeks after that, all my stuff gets picked up and I go to mum and dad's Mm -hmm. in Bannockburn for nine months. I then buy Heidi and I like a little townhouse in Manifold Heights, so we're just on the Nerva Road. Mm. And part of what I think has been great about that is I've actually, like I'm not sitting in the surrounds of it but it also means it's like I've packed him away oh, <laughs> and yeah. and I quite like it because I don't think 
I don't actually know how healthy it would be for me because I think people must think that I have some shrine to him. I don't. <laughs> like I actually, there's there's photos in Heidi's room and it's, it wasn't a deliberate thing, but even with furniture, I just got all new furniture. I mean, our stuff, like we didn't have a heap of sort of stuff. Um, but I was pretty determined to be like, I'm not just dragging things around sort of for the sake of it and that perhaps mm-hmm. a fresh start might be the best thing for us. So I'm really good at like, blocking it out and so then all of a sudden like on mm-hmm. Monday I'm pulling out and it's funny because when the videographers asked me to do it I was like I'm such a like doer I'm like yep right I'm on the laptop straight away <laughs> starting to pull things out this is a few weeks ago and then I sort of knew that I had to get into USB sticks and then I was like there's oh. some photo albums and I stopped and it's like mm-hmm. it's been sitting in my mind going I know I need to do this because the timeline is getting closer but I just can't do it. And so mm. Monday I was like, right, all right, just get stuck into it. And I think, yeah, you just get hit by it where you're going, I want to, I was thinking about when you were saying like what people don't know about grief is I'm just at home on a Monday afternoon, like going through my dead husband's photos and looking at boxes and thinking, how has his life ended up in essentially probably six boxes? Like it's just you know, pulling things out. And I wasn't sad. I mean, part of me looks at it and goes like, I don't know, I was laughing at some of the things I've kept because I can see it's like a little wristband that when we travelled, I think we'd got in Croatia, it must have tied them on. It's just like silly stuff like that. But I go, each little thing there's means a memory to each of it. Yeah. so much to me. But I know I kind of came out and came downstairs and was doing the photos and I was just rattled mm. for the rest of the day as in not sad not I don't know just in that space of kind of just going like oh that's right Mm. (laughs) like this is life yeah now and yeah it's painful really really painful so yeah yeah I feel that too this week just is carrying a heavier energy and I'm I'm extremely tired too I'm I'm just I got home so it was so I celebrated with my family my nan's birthday two days ago on yeah, Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. So her birthday was the 27th of October and, you know, I got together with my family and I even had the afternoon off work and I just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to celebrate her this yeah. day. And I thought I'm going to journal and I'm going to map it out and I'm going to, you know, do some yoga or meditation, yes. you know, do all the right things. Yes. And come the day, like I felt really numb. Mm. I didn't. I get a lot like that. Yeah. On the big days. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, like why am I crying? Like, yes. You know, shouldn't I be feeling more? Mm. And then you know, I saw my family. I went out for dinner with beautiful Kim, yeah. and and then the next morning I woke up and I ended up coming back here, and and that's when it hit me. Yeah. The next day, and I was just like, oh. Okay, so this is what's happening today. Okay, yeah. I know. And it's, I think that's weird because I feel much the same. It's actually like I tend to like anniversaries or birthdays and I'm quite good at being a bit numb to it because I think my body goes into quite a bit of shock and sort of just And I know when I'm in shock, I'm almost like totally unemotional Mm -hmm. just and more so this like hypervigilant sort of, you know, I can do anything but nothing will upset me. And I I think I'm Mm -hmm. noticing even this month it's like the fatigue of September is mm. carrying over for me because I think my nervous system's just gone, just fight your way through it, get your way through it. Mm. And at some point, you know, you don't have to break, but you, you know, even the days after Craig's anniversary and Father's Day and stuff this year, I just, I felt like I'd been hit by a truck, not the day, the mm. days yeah, following, after. the weeks following. And I mm. think I'm still... It's like jet lag, but for yes. grief, but it's all the time. Yes. <laughs> And it's, you know, so you're going, you're up, mm. you're down, you're round and round. And yeah. um, I think that's, that's like, it's like if someone describes it to you, it is, it's, it's waves, it's holes, it's, you know, sometimes going, I feel like nothing's wrong mm. at all. Yeah. And then sometimes having an element of guilt felt yeah. with that as well, going, oh, mm. you know, can I be happy when I'm supposed to be? sad and I guess you know what people's expectations are of you versus what you're personally yeah kind of going through is that's really, a big one yeah it's really really tricky as well um yeah it's all a minefield <laughs> oh it 100% is like my the expectation that I feel coming from other people is that like 
you shouldn't be feeling this any this yeah. way anymore so please stop talking about it yeah that's how and i totally, feel and it might not be true um but maybe I don't know. maybe I, culturally as well like there's a time limit to how long you're allowed to like grieve publicly yeah i think there is i really Mm. do and i think a lot of people would say it's around the one year Mm. but i also and i don't even mean to be like rude on this at all it's almost like you know unless it's like a child husband that people are shocked about Mm -hmm. because it's got to have the shock factor yeah it does then you should be over it quicker Mm. which is say someone like me so i get to harp on a little bit more but at the same time too perhaps i think year three people are probably starting to go she and is she over yet? You know what? And maybe they are. Maybe they are. But like, just the fact that you're still sharing it at year three is saying like, "Hey guys, just letting you know that like, it's okay to not be okay three years down the track." <laughs> and I think I've just kind of come to that realization that, you know, at the start too, I was desperate. I wanted to be done with it in a year. Mm. I did not want to feel that way at all. Like, I I don't like it. I can understand why people stifle their feelings because it's it's yuck. Like, it's really, really yuck. It throws you kind of completely. But I have come to the realisation that I'm like, well, of course I'm going to grieve for the rest of my life. You're going to grieve your nan for the rest of your life. And mm. why? Because you loved it. Yeah. And, and just so, because she is my grandmother, that's a little bit less acceptable. Isn't because it? Because people will go, oh, that's just your grandmother. But, like, yeah. But they don't know the ties of nah, that like, bond. They or don't she, know at all means to you or I, I've ha- had some interesting sort of just surface conversations with people that have lost siblings mm. who have felt that their grief is often dismissed because it's mm. almost like the parents take precedent over them because it's like oh my god the parents have lost the child um so poor them poor them poor them um and the siblings are sort of forgotten about or, mm. or having to hold it together for parents and I'm like yeah it's really interesting like almost that's so dysfunctional it is isn't Mm. it yeah I'm just like look you know what it it doesn't matter what the relationship is whether it's a friendship a work colleague sometimes these things hit you for whatever reason it is whether it was a close bond whether it was because she was a more motherly sort of figure Mm. to you so it was like losing you know a mother or an anchor like sort of point of someone that you've relied on oh that's probably life. why it hits me so heavy yeah. is because I've always had that as my beacon. Like yes. that is the one person I will return to yes, when everything pain. happens. Yeah, she was my protector, yeah. you know, my confidant. If I had anything going on in my life, she'd know about it. Yes. And anytime I needed help, the only person I felt comfortable asking for help. Yeah. But in saying that, I did have that strong bond to her. And I guess, like, I do feel the need to rationalize it to people sometimes and to say, and say oh, but we're so close. close. <laughs> you know, like, she's, she was like my mother. Mum didn't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like. And, and it is. It's almost like you have to, you do feel this element of trying to justify why you're grieving. I mean, I've, I've probably give like not given up I'm a bit like I just don't care anymore Mm. as in I personally know how much this has impacted me and my life and it's now when you're saying to me what do what would have I um not known about grief before I was grieving I had no idea the amount of pain like people are feeling just cry like um okay that it's not just me and it's not just you, that there are so many people out there in so much pain mm-hmm. and we have no idea. And I think I just feel like I'm going into bat for the grievous. I actually do. <laughs> I feel like you're leading the party. Because <laughs> I'm like, I genuinely I feel, feel that so way. protective of them. <clears throat> and it's funny, it's, it's probably becoming <clears throat> like my story is certainly elements of that, but I feel like this need to share because I'm hoping it gives other people permission to feel their grief and and I just yeah like I feel incredibly lucky because I'm confident enough Mm. and I feel sort of secure enough in my emotions and and what I'm saying and all things like that but I go I worry about these people that don't have a voice that Mm. are being silenced that don't have good family support Mm. or networks around them so if I can provide any kind of you know feeling that 
whether it's hope, whether it's being seen, whether it's feeling less alone, like I just, yeah, I'm like I'm on this grief bandwagon. Yeah, and going feel free just, to get on board. Yeah. yeah, and I just kind of want to protect those people because I didn't know about grief before no. I was grieving. I was that idiot that was trying to fix things and not yeah, mention things. And so it's been a big lesson for me. I mean, I guess part of the beauty out of what I've been doing is actually been often hearing from people who are not grieving and mm. trying to support that have no idea what to do that are saying to me, you're giving me tangible ways to help my That's friends so or my family. Um, and that has been, yeah, really, really nice mm. sort of part of it yeah. too. Because we're all just learning. That's all learning <laughs> every day. Like every I day still, I still mess up numerous times. And I always like I've I've often said this. Like I I'm certainly no expert whatsoever. Mm. Um, but I'm just happy to talk with people. I don't want to talk at people because I've now realised there's like no way to do grief. I wish there was, but <laughs> <laughs> but there is no way to do grief. But I'm like, if you can talk with people and if I can take something from someone's experience or share something from my own, like it all just kind of helps Yeah, in a way. Mm. It does. I don't think that I would have been able to support Kim in the way that I did yes. if I hadn't, you know, previously gone through what I had. I, but that will really strengthen your relationship even oh, more, isn't it? It has. You know, the night that I first went over there, the day that she lost him, um, we just we just cried together. And I feel like that it did strengthen our bond, but yeah. it also made me a better friend, yeah. someone that could better serve her in yeah. that time because I had a relatability I could yeah. understand. And sadly, like, we never really know what it's like until we've had to walk in someone else's shoes and... And that's part of, like, part of me goes, that's where I guess that being grateful for some of the experiences that you have, Mm. no matter how awful it is, is going, well, when I've come out the side of it, what has it taught me or in which ways have I grown? I'm the same. It's better being able to support people and, um, yeah, being more confident in and empathetic as well. And I think that has been a really beautiful part of it for me is you know I guess if you can show that empathy towards them and like and that's I'm like I just am pleased with anyone that shares their story with me I'm like it's such a beautiful thing to sort of be part of and I don't know whether do people often say to you like oh do they worry that you're going oh but if you get messages about you know heavy topics all the time like is it too much for you? Do you? Some people do say that to yeah. me, like friends. They're like, you know, you've got to have boundaries, but yes. to protect yourself in certain ways. And and sometimes I have felt that way, yeah. but not for a really long time. And mostly people that share their stories with me now, it's more so that they found like a little, like a, a moment in one of the episodes yeah. that mm. has really helped them in what they're going through. Yeah. And so it's a helpful expression of vulnerability. You know? And I think most people, what I've realized, most people just want to tell you their story. Mm. They don't actually expect anything really back from you except a response. Mm. And like, But it is beautiful that people are turning to you. Yeah, I've. it's funny. I never expected it. So mm. it kind of, no, it didn't shock me. I think what's happened is I've probably written that book and now I look at it and go, look at it and go, I think I've written it for myself. Like, I think it was just something that I needed to do. (laughs) Like, I had the idea and it was, of course, like, do you know what? If someone buys it, great. But I actually, as I remember, like, opening up the first copy and I was like to my sister, I don't even care. Like, if I've just blown all that cash, like, I don't Mm. even care. I'm so happy and proud of it. Um, And so I don't think I kind of, I just thought, oh, this is, it might help one or two people. Maybe, maybe not. And then hearing from people, I was like, oh God, like I hadn't, I probably hadn't actually really considered Mm. other people's feelings around it or what they might get out of it. I just thought, well, maybe, yeah, maybe some people like writing. I know it's good for me. And Mm. yeah, it was, um, it did actually surprise me, but it's been like the nicest part of it and almost you know, having that little community of people mm-hmm. and a few people that reach out on social media that you kind of connect with a little bit more that, you know, message every now and then. It's, <laughs> it's nice. It like, is nice. Yeah. Would you mind telling me a little bit about Craig? 
I would love to. And this is what's always nice with podcasts and things like this. I just think um, sometimes when you've lost someone, people forget to ask you like who they were and what they were like and you almost think about them more in their death than when they were alive. So I love this question. Um, yeah, so Craig, I, how do I describe it? He was a bit of a rat bag. So Craig had grown up in um, New South Wales and I think was such a larrikin of a child. So I didn't meet him until he was probably 26, 27 years old. I was 23 at the time and um, he had basically like left home at 18, um, lived up in Queensland working at bars and nightclubs and things like that too, <laughs> moved to Adelaide, came to Melbourne and we actually met at a nightclub <laughs> in Geelong. Yes, which nightclub? <laughs> Oh, the worst nightclub in Geelong Home House. Um, I knew you were going to say that. It was the first and only time I've ever been there. And I managed to walk out with a husband. So. <laughs> All right, everyone listening to this is going to start going to Home House. What are the odds? Um, but yeah, it was funny because I remember I met him. We had a sneaky like dance floor patch. And I we exchanged numbers. And I remember the next day actually just thinking... I don't really want to hear from that guy. Like, we were so different. Like, I just, yeah. I think at the time, this is before hipster, kind of, like, he had a beard and a moustache, but he was like, at that stage, no one had beards and moustaches that were under 40. <laughs> <laughs> so he was ahead of his time. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, what I loved about him in that early sort of dating kind of phase was, you know, he contacted me. He was like, do you want to catch up? And I was like, not really. <laughs> And he persistently, and he never texts me. He would always call me. I like, like And it was, you know, just on for a chat. Would you like to come for dinner? Would you like to come for dinner? So, yes, he was living in Melbourne. I was in Geelong. And then I think a few weeks later, I relented and was like, yeah, I'll come and have dinner with you in Melbourne. And, yeah, we just hit it off immediately. And um, But it was interesting because we were so different. Like he was into motorbikes and surfing and all these extreme kind of adventures. And I was like, I like reading. Uh, <laughs> I like reading. <laughs> Hanging out with my girlfriends, that kind of thing. So, but funnily enough, when we first met, he was actually due to go for a round the world trip um, where he was going off with a mate to go to Fiji, the US, um, the UK or whatever sort of happened on that trip. So because he'd booked that ticket, he was booked to go. So we only got to know each other over like a 12 week kind of period. And then he was going away and I was trying to be that cool sort of girlfriend slash dating this guy where I was saying like, you know, you just go off overseas and explore yourself. like you know, maybe I'll be waiting at home, maybe I, I won't. <laughs> and we kind of avoided the discussion because in my mind I'm thinking, of course, he's going off overseas to like get with a yeah. hundred different girls that will all be like French and, <laughs> and not from Geelong <laughs> like me. And um, anyway, it got closer and closer and I remember by the time we got to the airport, I dropped him off. Like I was so upset. I cried um. after he'd left for days and days and this is pre kind of I guess Facebook or anything like that so I really all that he left with was my mobile number and an email address and then I just had to wait to hear from him so he landed in Fiji and I think a day later and I would have still been crying into my pillow <laughs> um, <laughs> he rang me and he was like I've made it to Fiji and then instantly sort of said to me he's like I don't want us to break up I really would like to keep things together and as I sobbed over the phone I was like yeah me too and so he continued with his travels and it was a little bit like well what what's going to happen here and he started to express to me that he thought he was going to come home Mm. and the funny thing is in the back of my mind I just knew that was something different with this guy that I thought if he comes home there's a fair chance we'll get married, we'll settle down and we won't go overseas. And I just always mm. sort of had an urge that I wanted to go traveling as well. And so I sort of said to him, I was like, look, I don't think you should come home. And then he said to me, well, why don't you come and join me? And Oh my gosh, yes! <laughs> and I had no money, like I had no money at oh. all. And I said to him, I was like, well, I just, I can't afford that. And he said, I've got money, I'll buy your ticket this week. So you organise to come and meet me in London, which would have been a few months later. So I think we had six months apart. Mm. And he's like, 
you know, I got a second job. I saved my money. Um, and yeah, six months later, when I met out with him in London. But the funny thing is I now realize I'm like, I turned up for a guy that I'd really actually only ever physically seen for 12 weeks. <laughs> and I've moved to London to be with him and move in straight together. But it just like we had the time of our lives. And mm. I think with Craig, what he was like as a person was he was a bit sort of like larger than life, very blokey. But also probably the most kind, respectful and considerate person of women. Like mm. I just, I loved that about Craig. As in, even when we were in London and made all our friends, I was never not included in anything. It was always that. Joe and Craig, Craig and Joe. He didn't want to do boys weekends and things like that. It was like, you know, the two of us were a unit and we kind of came together on everything. And he was really like, you know, my friends even so nurturing and loving and then he loved to say, like, I love you to everyone, mates, family. Oh, my God. <laughs> he just, but like, as I said, like a bit of a larrikin and cheeky and always <laughs> having a beer and probably, like, giving me the shits a lot. But you just kind of, I think people that met him and knew him, you just loved him. And mm. he was really overt in saying how much he loved the people around him as well. So he was just, yeah, a really good solid guy yeah like you guys lived out the romantic movie dream <laughs> that every girl ever wants yeah absolutely and look you know it's it it was it was a, a really good relationship that we had together and um <clears throat> I think with Craig too because I'd got like we'd got together when I was 23 I think I was pretty unsure of myself at that mm. stage in my life and and probably over those coming years but I think he really supported me in coming into my kind of own and Craig was like the biggest backer of mine so oh. I always just felt like I could he was just content with life and there was probably me that was a bit more like oh I want to work and achieve this I want to do it and he just thought yeah sure go for it like oh. he just I'd always say you know if I turn around and said to Craig next week I'm running for prime minister he'd be like yeah sign me up what like just just go for it like he just <sighs> believed in me in what I was doing and um supported me in so many aspects of my life and I think too he was the one person <clears throat> at that point that I felt like I could be completely myself and yeah. open with and um it's like he didn't expect anything from you yeah, he just was, wanted you to be yeah there was no sort of facade and um yeah I think it was it was really special the amount of time we sort of had together and shared together and um yeah, we were incredibly lucky in that sense. Yeah. yeah. And then you had Heidi. Yes. And then we had Heidi. So, um, you know, after we'd sort of traveled, we actually we went to Melbourne for a bit, did the whole, got engaged, <laughs> came back home, got married. And yeah, about 18 months later, I felt pregnant. And yeah, we were, we were excited to be having a child. I think both of us had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> so it's not something I think we'd really dreamed of. It's like we actually literally, oh, I talked about getting a dog. <laughs> I really want a dog and I was like why don't we have a baby and then oh my gosh I was very lucky that I fell pregnant quite quickly yeah. um I had a pretty traumatic birth with her and really? you know oh yeah it was pretty awful and brutal and sometimes I'm like this trauma just <laughs> attracted, yeah. attracted to me but um you're not the only one Joe. all I hear uh, recently is just really bad birth stories birth stories are hard I <sighs> and it's funny because I I was very scared of birth, but I tried to prepare myself as well as possible and did calm birth and all those kind of things. And I think calm birth helped me. I think it could have been far worse if I hadn't have done that. But oh, it was nothing. It was not calm. Oh. <laughs> Let me say. But it, interestingly enough, like as soon as I had Heidi, I just, I don't know, I fell in love with her. Craig mm -hmm. fell in love with her even harder. And it was an interesting time in our relationship because I think we'd gone from being this duo that mm. was so tight and suddenly we were a trio. <laughs> yeah. And that's got to change the dynamic completely. It changes the dynamic. And I think for, you know, parents out there, I think what I noticed was the biggest shift for us was we'd gone from being, you know, we, if we were doing something social, the two of us would go together. Well, when you've got a newborn, <clears throat> you can't be taking them out sort of late at night. So I felt like from a social perspective, we kind of had to go separate ways because mm -hmm. 
you know, either I'd be home with the baby or Craig would be home with the baby. <clears throat> and I found that was, yeah, that was tricky yeah. for us. And and I think we probably started getting on a little bit of that, um, what, what I call that, just sort of going through the motions yeah. of life, which, you know what, it, it happens and it happens to most of us. But yeah, interestingly enough, I, I remember... Um, going to Byron Bay with Craig in like May of 2017 and we it was our first sort of family holiday for a while we were going to meet with a whole group of mates that we'd met in London we got there a night earlier and we went down the three of us to the beach you know took Heidi down there and I'm looking out at the the ocean it's the first time I'd been to Byron Bay and um Craig's looking out and I'm thinking oh how amazing is this and Craig turned to me and you know what I was saying to you, he was like just such a rock solid person that yeah. there were, he never was moody or, or anything like that. But he just turned and looked at me and he said, oh, do you ever just feel like you're going through the motions? Mm. And I was really taken aback by it because yeah. I thought, oh God, if he thinks that, like Craig's the stable one, like this is something <laughs> I would throw out there. Yeah. And it really hit me and... Um, I kind of like laughed it off at first, but I know I went home from that holiday going, it's not that it doesn't feel right, but perhaps we need to make some changes in terms yeah. of spending more time together. I felt like I was needing to take a little bit more of a step back from work. And mm. so started to make those shifts and then we decided That's we good. would, yeah, move out to Bannockburn and have this country <laughs> change. And wow, yeah, so we, we headed out that way and then I guess that's where the story <laughs> fell apart. So, yeah. so look, it's, yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, we, we moved to Bannockburn. What I'm grateful for is we had four weeks mm. of, of taking that step back that I was talking about and not going through the motions. I remember we did so much more like cooking together and had my parents around and had a group of friends around and just had this really lovely four weeks. And then, yeah, on the 7th of September, 2017, yeah, it fell apart when Craig woke me in the middle of the night and is suddenly telling me that he can't breathe and um yeah has an asthma attack right before my very eyes and wow. um you know I'm attempting to sort of resuscitate him and help him with that screaming down the phone to triple oh O having the paramedics turn up and work on him for yeah almost well over an hour to I guess then be told like he's died and that's that's kind of it I'm so sorry, Terry. Oh, yeah, it's it's interesting even talking about that where you go, you talk about all that sort of life history together to, I guess, going all over and done with so fast and so quickly. And yeah. How old was he? So he was 38. Hmm. And it just... You know what, to be honest, it still feels so surreal. Almost three years, for over three years on that, that he's not here. And I know, like, we'll, we'll probably talk about this. I'm like, you know, maybe spiritually he's kind of here. But, yeah, physically he's gone. And that's, that's kind of it. And I think, you know, following... Craig's death and I think if you look back on what I've told you about our lives I would say I was leading like a really beautiful quite privileged sort of life of happiness and of course there was challenges and things like that too to then suddenly have your whole world ripped apart right before your very eyes and then ending up in this whole new world of grief mm. and loss and trauma and um you know I guess really especially in those that first sort of 24 hours to 48 hours after he's he died is sitting there and thinking like how am I actually going to do this yeah like I you know at that point you're not really sure what you're made of but you're certainly questioning it just going yeah. I'm you know what I experienced the night Craig died I just thought I don't know like I don't I don't think you can come <laughs> I don't yeah. think you can come back from this and look they were probably fleeting points where I was also going no 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 you can do it and I'm I'm quite good with that but I I was absolutely floored by that experience and I feel like 
coming out of it the next day, you know, or Craig's death from basically waking me up to the point so that he died in our home and then was taken out of our home before Heidi woken up. So that was between the space of 2.30 and 5.30 a.m. And I just know that... she was asleep. Yeah, so Heidi, thankfully, slept through it, even though she was... She was in our bed and we and Craig essentially, yeah, was having the asthma attack in our ensuite, like so close to it. Yeah. But thankfully didn't wake up. I mean, when paramedics arrived, I was able to sort of get her out of our bed and move her down to her bedroom and settle her. I think she woke for maybe 30 seconds. And there's, yeah, there's moments in that panic that I can kind of go that I'm really grateful for because I... <clears throat> I just didn't want her exposed to it. And, you know, even that decision of having Craig's body removed from our home was centered around because Craig's death was unexpected and he was young. Police come to your home after the paramedics (sighs) had been there. And, I mean, the the police officer was beautiful. She, you know, and even the paramedics were like, please don't be alarmed. They're like, it's just that because it's unexpected. We need them to be here and they'll just ask a few questions, but you've got nothing to be worried about. And she sort of came in and, you know, I answered the questions and I can't even think of what those questions would have been. Yeah, but, of course. Um, yeah, she just said to me, they've told me there's a little girl here. And she's like, with your permission, she's like, I wonder whether it might be best to get his body out of the home before <sighs> she wakes up. And at that point you're going, well, this has just happened. I don't think I'm prepared to be having this conversation. Mm-hmm. With her like my my brain and body is in so much shock right now that I don't think I can explain this to her and do the justice to it either and um so how do you explain that yeah it's well it's something you know that you never imagine doing is telling your own child that their father or a mother has has died and yeah, I, you know, as much as you think you can be prepared, like it's still an awful moment, but I, in hindsight, I am pleased that I got Craig's body out Yeah. before that because I think it just gave me a day to almost, because um, she had to go off to kinder and my sister-in-law kindly sort of cared for her for the rest of the day before bringing her back in the afternoon. Yeah. It just gave me a little bit of a chance to get my my head around things and start to understand what was what was actually going on but yeah I, you know sort of I guess going back to that I guess you know in a space of a few hours I've, I've come out of this experience like a total shell of a person and you know often when I talk about grief I think I always say I'm not one of those people with like, I don't have like resting bitch face unfortunately I've got resting smiley face (laughs) I'm always smiling and and I think you know there's this perception I guess potentially and you know I'm I'm content and happy in lots of lots of aspects of my life that you know perhaps it wasn't that hard for me but I really think back to those you know um those coming days and weeks and months after Craig's death of how hard that was and how much you feel so lost in that as well because I think when you have any life-changing event you don't come out of it the same person mm-hmm. at all um and yeah I've been to some really dark places with it all and I know you know that 24 hours I'm still like vomiting because I'm in so much shock and just feeling so sick about what's kind of happened and you know the coming like oh god I even just think of that like I I in those coming weeks almost like a punch in the guts where you're just like oh like that's right like this awful just kind of pain almost it's almost like I'd lost so much control of myself and I think as we're kind of discussing like this is what grief is it's just this huge amount of pain that comes from having loved someone so much mm. and losing them. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, you know, I guess then, then coming into this well, I was so confused about what was happening to me because I'd been incredibly lucky in my life in that I hadn't grieved before. Mm-mm. I'd lost 
grandparents that I was not particularly close to, so I didn't have it didn't impact me in that same same way. And so I I really hadn't experienced grief. I had no idea. I was panicked about it, overwhelmed about it, trying to fix it. Yeah, <laughs> program your grief. <laughs> I'm going to put it into like a calendar and we're going to do this on this day and this oh day's denial. I actually, like I, I laugh about it because I still remember like probably days after Craig died sitting around with my sister and saying to her like, now I know there's stages of grief, so could you Google that so that I know them? And then if I know about them, because, you know, you best be prepared with information. I'm always better if I've got information. And then I'm I'm a problem solver. So it's like, well, so what I'm going to do is I ring the psychologist straight away. So I'm like pretty proactive with things like that. I, yeah, start seeing her. I'm also, and I also turn up to the psychologist like this. So, yeah, all right, if you could just heal me, but just as quickly as possible as well, because I feel yuck. Like, oh my God. And I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. My husband has died. It's a huge inconvenience. Heal me, heal me, heal me. And most of it because the bad feelings were so awful that I was going like, you can't feel this way. Like this, there can't be a life like this. And so desperately looking for answers and, you know, went to psychologist and, you know, she's been fantastic. But starting to go, okay, so mentally I'm sort of looking at that angle, but why am I still feeling so bad emotionally? Or what's that spiritual kind of connection Mm. that I need to create? And so, you know, then I'm off to the kinesiologist, Reiki, (laughs) like I've I've done everything, psychics, whatever. Just happy to give it a go, like totally happy to, but probably initially with that purpose of like heal me and heal me right now. And Mm. um And then noticing like physically my body was starting to give way and, you know, well then trying to to fix that. And, you know, I worked so hard that first year, like so hard (laughs) to heal, to perhaps, I I think it's as though I'd been put into my own game of survivor. And I just thought if I just get through year one, like I'll win the immunity idol and I'll be done. And... Except, like, I went back to Byron Bay, mm. Craig's first anniversary, and I was fine the day of the anniversary, and I think even the day after, I was okay, and then it just got to an afternoon, and I just felt like I'd been hit by a bus, and I went and laid down in the room that I was staying in, and I remember just kind of, like, this overwhelming feeling of going, oh, God, like, it's still the same shit, nothing's changed. <clears throat> Like nothing's changed at all, and I was so disappointed and frustrated, mm. and <clears throat> it's like you had been sold something, but you wanted a refund. Yeah, like excuse me, this is not what I signed exactly. up for. And then I, yeah, it was just a bit like this is all bullshit. Like what I've done, like I, I think I've ticked through the checklist. It does. Like I've done anger. <laughs> I've done denial. I've done bargaining. I'm pretty sure I've had acceptance. Mm. Um, and then it all unraveled around me and I basically, you know, I, I went back to life after Craig's anniversary and was going like, okay. And then I went and did some trauma therapy with my psychologist and that really hit me for absolute six for months and months. Wow. And, um, you know, I think has been helpful in some of the healing, but the, I mean, the best part of that was it released all these emotions that mm. I hadn't been feeling. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think I'd been, as I said, I, I thought I was playing the right game in that first year as in mm. I wasn't angry at the world. I yeah. wasn't um, feeling the unfairness. I was being grateful, grateful, grateful. And then all of a sudden. It's like toxic <clears throat> gratitude. Absolutely. All of a sudden I, yeah, I'm falling apart and I'm going home and I was, angry like so my home actually looks out to like a street sort of frontage with shops and things and I was sort of sitting there like so I can do the dishes at the same time I love to like look at people across the street but like just thinking looking at these perfect families and thinking like stuff you yeah. like I hate you all right now like this is so unfair and and it was a horrible place 
to be in, but I now realise like how important that was to go there. And, and then I think that's where I could start to see these waves and ebbs and flows of grief and how just because you've done anger once doesn't mean that it won't come back for you yeah. again. And that whole lesson around grief is so far from, from linear. And, you know, I look at it today, I think we were having a conversation before where I'm like, I'm having such a sad week. Mm. So I'm perhaps at depression again. Who knows? Like, it's just, but I think I'm rolling with it better now. It doesn't mean I like it, (laughs) but I'm learning to roll with it a lot more and just kind of go, well, Mm. this is just the stage I'm at and try and sit with it when I can. Sometimes, as I said, I think I'd love to say I'm perfect and just go, yeah, and then I sit in my emotions and I feel it and I work (laughs) the other side. But sometimes I'm like, this is actually really inconvenient. Like I said, yeah, I can't, you know, do this today, whether that's because you've got a work commitment, whether, you know, having a child makes it more difficult because I think on Monday I was feeling particularly sort of sad and I was like, maybe I could just go and lie on bed and have a bit of a cry. But I'm like, oh, hang on, 20 minutes school pickup. So, so I have to, yeah, I have to go. And I find that sometimes difficult too, as in it's sometimes I want to attend to my grief and I can't because of you know, and we're all, we're all pulled in different ways for different reasons and circumstances that we may not have the time to attend to it then. And so I think I'm getting better at too that when when it hits me, I'm then rolling with it. And yeah. I know at the start of this year, I had a particularly bad day of dropping Heidi off to school. And, and I, I'm not kind of... Um, not one of those people that often cries for a day. Like, I'm probably very fleeting. And maybe that comes from having a child around as in you're kind of like yeah I'm a bit upset no no I'm good I'm good yes I you need a snack you need a snack now I'm crying <laughs> like yeah. it's a bit all over the place but I had dropped her off at school had a hard time dropping her off she has burst into tears and I shocked myself because I've burst into tears following that and well, this woman sort of came up to me and it was the first day of school and she said to me like it's just the first day it's the first day Joe. <clears throat> doesn't matter mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's fine. And she's like, do you want me to drive you home? So I said, no, 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 I'm going for a walk around the block. Block, like a walk for me normally fixes everything. And I got on this walk around the block and like I could not stop crying. And I'd not bought my sunglasses that day. I was oh. kicking myself. People were waving at me like, hi, like, am I, oh my God, get stuffed. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, I just remember thinking, I know she's saying to me it's just the first day and what I really want to scream back at her is it's not the first day. It's not because she's crying because she doesn't want to leave me that's upset me. It's all of it. It's I'm tired. I'm fatigued. I wish my husband was here. I'm traumatised. I'm all these things that have just hit me in that one big wave all of a sudden. And I was pleased that day because I actually couldn't get it together. I got home... cried some more, rang my sister and said to her, I was like, I'm just so upset. I'm just like, what sort of am I? Like, I just, every life, it's just life. Like, I'm, you know, it's, it's a challenging life. And she's like, do you want me to come and see you? I said, yeah, I need you. Like, I need you here. Mm. And then I just said to her, but don't, don't cheer me up. Like, I don't, I don't want to be cheered up today. Don't, <clears throat> just let me, feel just let me go. Like, yeah. and I'm going to tell you probably some really revolting things that, you know, <laughs> hate everyone and love. but I but sometimes I think you've got to be allowed to let that that out because you know the next day I actually woke up completely fine yeah and I was ready to take on the world again it was almost like that's what my body was telling me that it had been a really long summer of solo parenting mm-hmm. that perhaps you know it makes me even think perhaps the first day of school is always going to upset me because it's often a confronting place to be with all these families that are together when you're just walking in on your own who, who knows what it is but yeah I, I've learned to just kind of roll with it a little bit better mm. that I have than than pushing it down but yeah it's tricky it's it a is. tricky balance and it's definitely healthier mm. it's honestly like it's easier to <clears throat> to put up this big door with like all of this like 
pounding water, like yes. thudding at it, trying to get open. And let's just say that like attending school for the first yeah. day was just like this little creak that opened the door. Yeah. But suddenly you're not you're not strong enough to hold that door closed anymore. So all of this water just rushes out. Yeah. And like that's sometimes the way I feel about my emotions sometimes too. Mm. It's like if I pretend that they're not there or if I numb them with, you know, drinking a glass of wine instead of, you know, yes, dealing with it or feeling my yeah. emotions or if I numb in another way or just binge watch television. Yes. On your phone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. something will happen and it will force me to feel my grief. Yes. And it, it's sort of huge. Like it's a, it's not just this small little thing. It's no. like, yeah, oh, it's and this it's, massive thing. I think it's funny because isn't it, it can be so physical grieving and that is yeah. totally something I, I never, ever realized about grief. Mm-mm. at all and I know I've been sort of negatively sort of impacted physically by grief in such a, a big way you know when I um saying like po- post Craig's death you know I couldn't stay in the home that we were in together so I moved to my parents like three weeks later now moving home is incredibly stressful let alone being under the circumstances I was kind of in and I just remember like the next day I woke up, so it's my first night. Obviously, the stress on me had been so huge that my ear just blocked itself up. And I thought, um, oh my God. I actually thought I was like, maybe it's an earache or something like that. And my dad was trying to sort of help me with that when I was little. My dad would always put like a little bit of like olive oil or castor oil or something to like warm it <laughs> yeah. and see whether that would take away the pain. So he was like, just do do that for a little bit and I woke up the next day and I was like it's still like my ear yeah just has this huge amount of pressure and now I've realized like I still have it it's not at the same range that it was but I think it's all connected to my jaw mm. which I think is connected to me potentially I don't know whether I do or don't but I'm pretty sure I clench my jaw when I'm sleeping uh, yes. um you know, for, I had horrendous time sleeping for probably the first sort of 18 mm. months to, to two sort of years. I sleep better now, but often I wake up like I haven't slept, as in my yeah. mind is sleeping, but my body is going through something else. And um, yeah, I, I imagine it's all sort of nervous system related and, and potentially, you know, yeah. I remember speaking to my kinesiologist about it and he's like, well, of course, he's like, your nervous system will wake up every night because you're, when you were, I guess, <sighs> at a vulnerable state of sleeping and you've been woken up and thrown straight into this nightmare, yeah, your body is bracing for it and hoping that doesn't happen to yeah. you again. So Sleep is no longer safe for you. No. So I'm really conscious at that and trying to attend to that but also I guess understanding that people out there that are grieving are sometimes are in just as much physical pain that it yeah. is mental and, and emotional not as normalized people don't no. know about that at all no and, and it worries me I, I really worry about what the long-term impact on my health might might be because you know, am I more prone to having some kind of serious illness because my body has been under so much stress and pressure? And so, yeah, I, I try my yeah. best, <laughs> but sometimes it's, yeah, I, it's interesting because I do feel like the trauma side of what happened to me with Craig has really tripped me up a lot. And I, it's something I haven't quite worked out how you solve or, <laughs> or what you kind of do. And, I, and there's probably you know, no right answer for it, um, which can be, yeah, incredibly frustrating yeah. at times. But as you said, something that's often not talked about in yeah. grief at all. Mm. I think extremely frustrating for someone like you as well yes. that likes to plan everything out and, you yeah. know, have everything organised. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I think that's been an interesting for one, one for me with grief is, it has been control and mm. even, I, I'm a really cool calm collected person most of the time and I think what really threw me was whilst I can't remember exactly what I was like the night Craig died I'm pretty sure I was out of control and Mm. I feel like that really frightened me and I think since Craig's death particularly that first year there's there's been this element of me you know trying your life's been smashed up so I'm trying to build it all back together 
But I wonder whether there's an element of also trying to control that yeah. so nothing happens exactly. again. Because if I'm controlling, <clears throat> I'm therefore safe. You know? Safe. Like, and, yeah. and I think that's going to be a huge problem for me as we go down the track because yeah. I know even – I said this to my psychologist and I've spoken about it with my sister before where I think there is a part of me that's bracing myself waiting for the next bad kind of thing, which is an awful way – to live and say I'm like oh god I actually would not want to attack me down an dark alley because I just <laughs> it's like I'm ready and waiting I'm ready to go but that also frightens me that frightens me too. because you would constantly be in like fight mode fight yeah exactly yeah. which is not a good place for your nervous system to be it's constantly on you know alarm alert yes and, and it can't be good for you no and so like I said, it's been good because I did, when I was talking about the trauma therapy before, was this EMDR therapy. So essentially it's because traumatic um, thoughts and memories get stuck in your brain and it can't sort of process it properly. So EMDR, um, yeah, puts you, essentially try to put you in a state of REM because when you're in REM, um, it helps you process those tra- traumatic sort of memories wow. better. So essentially... It, psychologist yeah like they get you to recall a traumatic event and they'll talk to you about how you felt in that moment so for me it might have been I'm in the bathroom I'm feeling terrified scared out of control okay how would you like to perhaps feel and it might be not in control but it might be I guess there's probably always going to be an element of me going did I do enough Mm. um you know, could have I handled the situation better? And so part of this EMDR will be going, do you know what? I did the best I could in a situation that was perhaps out of my control. But yeah, essentially they then run a finger in front of your eyes, like back and forth, back and forth. That puts your brain into REM and it's incredible the amount of emotion that comes out of you. Yeah, it's crazy. I want to do it. Yeah, it's it's a really fascinating thing to do. it certainly hit me hard and they're really like my psychologist is very good and sort of saying to me you need to be so gentle with yourself right now and um yeah it's interesting because I I thought because I'd done EMDR I was like well tick (laughs) (laughs) and and I feel like perhaps I'm back in a bit of stage of where the trauma is upsetting me again and so you know I'm working with her again to kind of go like right how do we work this through but I know for me too it has to be a very gentle approach as much as I was kind of saying to the psychologist when she mentioned EMDR like 18 months after Craig died I was like I've known about this since day three (laughs) but why haven't you let me do it like (laughs) I and I remember I just was like I'm too polite to bring it up but at the same time I was going like why are they not recommending this I've googled this I know what EMDR is and I'm a prime candidate and I'm ready to go and was probably getting frustrated that no one was addressing the trauma with me. No one was addressing it. And then when I went through that, I think she just said to me really honestly, and it was the best thing I've kind of heard. She was just like, Jerry, like you've been through so much um, that if I, she's like, I'm just trying to piece you back together bit by bit. And with doing this trauma therapy, if I knock you down at the wrong moment, you're not going to be able to parent. You're not going to be able to work. Um, And so we have to be really gentle with what we're doing, which, as I said, can be frustrating for me because I'm looking for the the solution and I like a challenge, just get it done. But I get it. Like there's normal life that I still have to do. And in a way, I'm very grateful to her for taking that gentle approach with me because I think, it's the responsible thing to do. It is, yeah. um, it's the wise thing to do. Yeah. And mm. I've really respected that about her. And I guess starting to understand too that I am more vulnerable than I probably think. And that whole quote, like I oh. often think of it, is, you know, I'm more vulnerable than I think, but stronger than I could ever imagine. And I do truly believe that because I kind of, I think, I look at it and go, some of the things I've been through and I've experienced, I, I know that I'm incredibly strong. You are. But I'm also incredibly vulnerable. And I like the both as- aspects of that as well. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it was a bit of a rude shock, I guess, her sort of saying to me, yeah, like, we've got to take this easy on you because I was just trying to charge Mm. ahead and it is it's looking at me when we were saying before like I guess perhaps if there's an expectation that you're over your grief like you don't I don't think you ever get over it I don't think you're you move on you might move forward in different kinds kinds of ways but I just I look at it and go well the reason I feel the way I do is the way I've explained this person yeah. before. And like, you can probably hear in my voice, like, you know, what I love, like is talking about him when he's alive and he's no longer here. And so I'm always going to be upset about that. <laughs> you know, 20 years down the track, it will still upset me. And I think that that's perhaps like an honour of him though. It is. Like that's just going, that's how much I love and care for you. Is that I'll still feel this deep hurt, not all the time, but on those days where it hits you out of nowhere and it's just because you love that person. I love that. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it can be really hard when you're in a society sort of telling you that you should be over it, you should be moving forward. And it can be a kick in the guts because you're going, I'm only feeling this way because I love them. And um, it's, yeah, it's, that's all it really is. And I think I got a real shock and I was like, yeah, grief is messy, it's uncomfortable, it's yuck, but it's also love. Yeah. To in just a totally different form to what we've ever kind of expected. Like what I'm thinking of love is like, I know that love is present when they're alive and when they're dead, but I'm also thinking like, what if love is like the active version of us living, but grief is just love as it's stagnant, you know, like as it's past. I don't, I don't know. With like, I think where I've heard sort of quotes, like it's grief is like love, but with nowhere to go oh. because you almost, oh, whoa. Yeah, like you're trying, it's like me, I guess where I get upset now, it's going, I loved him so much and I've got nowhere to put, to put that right now. And that's hard. And I think that that's, that's probably what most of us that are grieving are going through. It's just, you're trying to express your love for someone in a world that, that doesn't want to listen. <laughs> no. At all. It's and actually very unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I had a really good conversation earlier in the week with a woman who's a funeral celebrant and she's actually from Northern Ireland and she was just saying, she migrated out here quite a while ago, but, um how they celebrate death so differently in Northern Ireland in essentially like, so, you know, even if Craig had passed away in the hospital, oh, sorry, in hospital or at home, the body goes home for a period of time to the family and then anyone comes and visits. And I think it's so funny because almost we do the opposite as in, well, body goes off, but then it's like we, we try and hide the people that are grieving yeah. and protect them and look I, I know certainly I had friends and family around but she's like it's it's not even friends and family she's like it's work colleagues it's whoever it is and they get to I guess part of me goes well the beautiful part of that is that then people come and pay their respects to the person who's passed but also the people who are grieving and you take away that initial I've seen you for the first time like they can express their sympathies how you know sorry they are hug them kiss them whatever it kind of needs to be to make those people feel connected and heard so that's done prior to the funeral and then the next time they see them I guess it takes away that too we know what's happened to you we've seen you at your vulnerable state you haven't been hidden away so we can talk to you about how you are or um yeah like I guess just treating them like normal sort of human beings but also really allowing people to be upset in their emotions yeah because I think that's what we do wrong here yes 
if we don't allow people to feel their emotions no in grief but also like just in a whole broader term for just a second to highlight that but also to then grieve and to feel like you can express that with your loved ones friends colleagues anyone like that's that's a hurdle that you need to overcome and when we don't allow that no and I think that's part of where my passion has come from for talking about grief is like I'm like well I just refuse to be silenced in it I really I really do I'm I just, yeah, I won't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not even so much for me, but it's to, I guess, champion for other people that are going, I feel silenced in a time when you need connection most. Yeah. The fact that we isolate people even further and tell them that their feelings are not right or not valid or that they should have moved on or whatever it is, like it, it's so unfair and not, and not right. So my friends, we are going to leave it here today. We're going to wrap it up and offer you the opportunity to reflect upon what you have listened to today, to reflect upon what it may have arisen for you, any emotions, any feelings that may have been stored away, potentially triggered something that you haven't felt in a really long time. Take the time to validate your experience and to honor it. I personally love to journal out my thoughts and my feelings. Some people prefer to head out for a walk. Just do whatever is the most kind thing that you can do for yourself today. I want to thank you so much for listening to this amazing part one with Joe and for sharing your time with both of us. It means the world to us. And we look forward to seeing you for part two next week. But until then... If you would like to be notified when the episode drops, just make sure to hit that subscribe button before heading off today. Thank you so much, and I will see you for part two next week.